Thanks for joining us for our podcast, In the Kitchen with Sterling Silver Premium Meats, with our Sterling Silver chef, Pete Gagan. Chef Pete brings 30 plus years in culinary experience to Cargill, where he works directly with retail and food service customers. In this podcast, Chef Pete shares insights and perspective to benefit food service professionals, especially chefs. We also want to share with you what's happening in the world of premium beef. Subscribe now so you don't miss an episode. Welcome to the latest episode of In the Kitchen with Sterling Silver. I'm Chef Pete Gagan, and it's time once again to chat with chefs about the amazing world of food. Today, I couldn't be happier to have Chef Sarah Cooney as my guest. In addition to talking about her background and favorite beef cuts, we're going to be chatting about how restaurants can stay connected to their communities during these crazy times. As a bit of background, Chef Sarah grew up in Connecticut in a cooking family who enthusiastically embraced their Italian and Czech heritages. Thanks to a lot of bonding over home-cooked meals, Sarah developed a passion for food, leading her to culinary school. Over the course of her career, she has worked as a chef at Maine and Hopewell, Americus on the Wharf, and Pastis. All of these are in Connecticut. Then she moved to North Carolina and has spent time at the Farrington House, Nordstrom Cafe, and Foster's Market. Today, Sarah and her wife own the Root Cellar Cafe and Catering in Chapel Hill and Pittsburgh, North Carolina. Plus, recently, she's even appeared on Guy's Grocery Games on the Food Network. Welcome, Chef. Hey, Chef Pete. How are you today? I'm doing great. Yourself? I'm doing great. It sounds like you got a pretty rich history around food. I do. So let's dive into your background a little bit. Um, as a little kid, I grew up in the kitchen. My parents always made dinner, and we always made it from scratch. On Saturday mornings, my dad and I would watch Julia Childs and all the other chefs on PBS. So I was always around food. I, I, I would say probably most of us chefs have a very similar, uh, I guess, upbringing. I hear it a little different sometimes, you know. Some people became chefs because their parents weren't good at cooking, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, but I think Julia Child played a big role in a lot of our uh, lives. So I know that you had gone to school for soccer too, right? So that was a, a part of your life that you enjoyed. I'm sure you still do. What drove you to get into the culinary side, though, after being in school? So even before I went to college to play soccer, I knew I wanted to do culinary arts, but I kind of wanted to continue my soccer dream, I guess. And then it kind of fizzled out, and I really wasn't a good student. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I dropped out and decided to go to culinary school. So, you know, school's one thing, but then getting out into the real world is, you know, I mean, that goes for any job, really. You know, so the passion of cooking, but then bringing it into a business. Tell me how that makes you feel, you know? I mean, there's crazy days, long hours. I, I mean, what kept you going? What drives you? Food, like to serve people and to give people food, it like warms my heart. And to see little kids that are like, ooh, you made these cookies? And I was like, they're just cookies. But to a little kid, they're so excited. Mm -hmm. I just really love the fact that people love food and they appreciate it. So then, in fact, I'm making them happy. I feel the same way. There's nothing. Uh, I like being in the back, not so much in front of the customer. But when they're done, just knowing that they enjoy themselves so much and you see the smiles on their face, you know, you're peeking out and seeing them at the table, enjoying things. Like you said, it warms my heart too. At the yeah. end of the day, that's what it's about. Yeah. So as a business owner, you know, there's 
other people you need to make happy. Talk about a little bit how you interact with the people, your employees, and I'm going to say probably their, your extended family too, those that work with you. They really have become my family. And I tell them that all the time, that they're not just employees, they're my family. Mm-hmm. And I feel that with COVID and everything that has happened, I mean, we had to lay off probably 40 employees. Mm. And it was heartbreaking. It was like getting divorced. And the ones that we've been able to keep, it's been great because you know they understand that we had to do it because we needed to make sure that there was something for them to come back to. And a lot of things that you know I'll do is, hey, I'm coming in on a Thursday morning and I'm running a little late. I stop and I grab them donuts, or you know, I let them listen to whatever they want to listen to in the kitchen. As long as you know they're happy, I'd rather listen to something horrible, knowing that they're having a good time, dancing around, singing, getting their work done. Yeah, I mean, you can't do it by yourself, right? So yeah. it's about teamwork, and uh, with that, it becomes you know a, a family bond, basically. With the chefs that I work with, it's a little different, but there is something special about that. And and I think that's what keeps a lot of us in the industry. Yeah. So, you know, I hear people say this all the time that, you know, it's a male-dominated industry that we're in. And every day I see more and more women coming into this industry, which is amazing because, I mean, when you think about it, who was the best cook at home? It was mom. It makes no sense to not have women in the top ranks of this industry. So I'd love to hear your take on it to make it work for you. So one of the first job interviews I went to, I walked into the restaurant and I had applied for like a prep cook job. And I was like, oh, you know, anybody can do this. So I walk in and the owner was like, we will never hire a woman in a kitchen. She will never work in a kitchen. I was like, well, that's fine. I'm gone. So I, you know, like left. And then I happened to just wander into the back of this Maine and Hopewell, like just decided to walk in the back door and see if they were hiring. I walked in and they're like, oh my God, our prep guy left. He goes, come back at four o'clock. We'll show you everything. And it was one of the best jobs. And they were all, you know, I was 20 and these guys were like 26, four guys. And they really taught me everything I could. They didn't care. I have had numerous times that a repairman comes into the shop and he'll come into the kitchen and immediately go straight to a guy and go, yeah, I'm here to pick, fix the sink or blah, blah, blah. What do you want me to do? And they're like, uh, I'm not the owner. You need to talk to her. And they'll be like, what? <laughs> you know, and I've had, uh, I've questioned charges from vendors before and I literally had a company call and say, you are a bitch. We do not want to talk to you. We want to talk to a man. And I was just oh like, What? So I've had a lot of, you know. That's crazy that those things happen out there in the industry. How do you handle something like that when that happens? Well, I am kind of low-key, and, you know, I, this is just me. A lot of times I'm like, I'm the guy in charge, and I kind of laugh it off, kind of let them make the fool of themselves. Oh, you know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, kind of thing like that. But, um, I mean, it happens all the time. I go to the farmer's market. They assume that my sous chef is my husband or they assume he's the boss and he's like, she's the boss. So, I mean, it just happens. I kind of play it off. Yeah, that's probably a good way to, to handle it. Getting into confrontations. I, I like how you say spin it, make them feel like, uh, you know, oh, my Lord, I can't believe I did that. Yeah. <laughs> I personally, I don't know if I've ever had a job where I wasn't working with both males and females. So for me, it's it's just normal. I would I would find it to be weird just to be in a all male kitchen. 
to be honest. I think yeah. we, you know, that diversity is amazing to see what one, how one person thinks versus the other. And a lot of time that diversity is women and men think a little differently. So I'll tell you a little story that my wife, the way I met her was through her sister who I hired. And she was a saute cook uh, in a restaurant, uh, ultimately became my sous chef. And when I left, she became the executive chef of the restaurant. She was awesome to work with. I loved her style. I loved everything about her. And I guess she liked me too, so she introduced me to her sister. And that was uh, where we're at today, 17 years ago. Wow. Yeah, it's sad when I hear those stories, but the best part about it is, you know, persevering and, and making it to where you are today, right? You know? Yeah. You know, you look back at it and made you who you are today. So let's get into your family heritage a little. So Italian and Czech. Italian is... Probably one of my favorite cuisines, and it not just because I am Italian, but I mean, there's such good Italian food, and I'm not talking like you know the spaghetti and meatballs or things that we get here, <laughs> but the, I mean tomatoes and pork and you know all that kind of stuff is so wonderful, and all the cheeses. I mean, we always ate Italian growing up. My grandparents lived you know a couple hours away from us, and. My parents would send us there for like a week in the summer and we'd always go on weekends. And my grandmother would always make fresh pasta and it'd be everywhere in the house, over the backs of chairs and on the bed and just drying it out. And my great-grandmother would make soups and there was always cookies. And we went to, my grandfather was the president of the Italian American Club Mm -hmm. and they would have this big fest every year. And I mean, my grandmother would make thousands of cannolis. So it's such a comfort food to me. But the Czech side, I didn't really know much about when I was younger because it wasn't very out there. My grandmother would make a few dishes. But then after she died, I took a trip to Prague. And the food, you know, so many sausages and things like that. It was just amazing. That's making me very hungry. I know. Um, Yeah. uh, (laughs) I grew up uh, on Long Island. And I... Probably almost all my friends were Italian. And I, exactly, walking into their homes and seeing grandma and, and, and their mothers cooking all day long. And, I mean, when you, when you went into their house, you had to sit down and eat. And they oh, made yeah. you food, right? You know? And I'm like, how could you, how can you not be, you know, the size of a whale with the amount of food that is produced daily in your house. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of like, how are you? Have you eaten today? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, people make fun of it, but it's, it's the truth. It's really how it goes. Uh, I, I love, I mean, fresh pasta to me, is there's nothing like it. And it's so easy to make. And like I said, what people think Italian food is, is, is more of American Italian food. Yeah. I personally have never been to Italy, but I've gotten uh, to, you know, you go need through to go. all these cookbooks. And I know people who've cooked Italian food for me that isn't that heavy laden, you know, red sauce and, you know, what we yeah. consider Italian food here. There's uh, no Caesar it, salad. <laughs> no, no. Well, that came from Mexico, right? Yeah. Nobody <laughs> believes <Tijuana>. me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love a good Caesar salad. I do there too. All right, but <laughs> it's funny. Yeah, we we are definitely a, uh, a a mix or a melting pot here in the United States, but we do a really good job of of creating things and calling things what they really, I guess, aren't. Right? Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, well, it's all good. Still good. Right? So sounds like you definitely pull inspiration from your heritage, but where else do you get inspiration from for the things you do in the restaurant and just in general? So a lot of my staff are Hispanic, Mexico, El Salvador, you know, places like that. So I love their cooking. And, you know, we think of Mexican food as what we get at the Mexican restaurants, and it's not. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they're always making staff meals or they bring something from home or they're like, oh, can I have this little bit of scraps? I'm going to make, you know, tacos or something out of it. So I really enjoy learning from them. I also really, really like Asian cuisine, the spices and the flavors. So I kind of do a lot of experimenting with that. And then, of course, you know, I watch Food Network and I watch the Cooking Channel and I have, you know, subscriptions to magazines and I'm always buying new cookbooks. So I'm always tinkering with ideas and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, you can pull it from anything and everywhere, right? Oh, yeah. You can pull inspiration for a dish from just even walking down the street, right? And looking in windows and different places and coffee shops, whatever it may be. You know, I think that's the the mind of a chef, which is uh, the way we are. We're constantly looking for that new, aha, this is amazing combination, whatever it is. Yep. Um, It's funny you mentioned the Mexican food. You know, because of COVID, I work a little differently. My, My The whole team of chefs here, we all live in different areas. We haven't got to see each other. So, like, how do we keep cooking together so we're we're putting ourselves through a little bit of a a latin cuisine learning and knowledge and this a couple of our our chefs that have a lot of experience there so we're we just recently did moles and Uh. everybody on the team got uh you know recipes for moles and and we wanted everybody to make it and then talk to each other about it And, and it was like just amazing because the food down there, like you said, it's 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 not what people think it is. <laughs> oh, it's not. It's and, so and, good. And the way they cook is is a little different than the way we would cook on a normal basis. And how they how they extract the best flavors from those uh, ingredients that they're using down there. It's it's awesome. And and we should all embrace that when we're when we're working in restaurants and 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 looking at our staff for that inspiration, you know and and. I know when I ran restaurants, I used to do my specials. I would have my staff create those specials, right? It wasn't coming from me. This is, I want them to, you know, have a piece of what's coming out of the restaurant and feel really good about it. And that's how I learned too, right? Yeah. So, Chef, if, if you were talking to the younger generation of uh, wannabe chefs out there, what, what advice would you give that you've learned along your journey that you'd like to share? I would totally tell you if you don't want to spend the money on one of the bigger schools, there are a lot of good uh, community college culinary programs out there that, you know, you can go to school and get a part-time job. I've hired a lot of people from the community colleges, and they have been amazing. Also, I believe that a lot of stuff you don't learn in school. Uh, You don't learn what happens when the ovens break or, you know, you get fish delivered and it's rotten. You learn a lot on the job. Schooling gives you the basics, but the job gives you real-life skills. 
Yeah, but no, you're right. And and I mean, here I live in Wichita, Kansas, and uh, they've got a um, community school that basically for many years I hired the last chef we hired from here. That's where he came from, and he's awesome. And it, it, it was a great program. It gave him the basics, but it didn't break the bank, right? Yeah. Uh, so I, I agree with you 100. percent There's no doubt. And if that's a great way to get that little bit to get your foot in the door and. Learn everything. You're going to learn everything else anyway. I don't always and almost always look back at that time in the college. I learned a lot there, but it's the real world stuff that gets you through each day, right? Yeah. And and like I said, I think it was day two and a brand new restaurant opened up and ovens broke down. Brand new stuff. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do? Exactly. But I learned because the guy came in and changed the thermocouplers, they just happened to be bad. I don't know why, but now I can do that myself. Nice. <laughs> you know, what you just said reminds me of one of the first jobs that I had as an as a executive chef. There's the, a lot of the purveyors out there. Unfortunately, there's some great ones. And then there are some out there that play games with you. And you mentioned fish, right? So I, I had my first seafood uh, supplier trying to send me, you know, fish that just wasn't that good and charging me top dollar for it. And I told him, I said, I will never accept anything that's not pristine and fresh. And this guy, and this is in New York, he actually handed me a salmon once that had like $500 in the mouth. I'm not kidding. He wanted me to use him because he lived right around a corner. And after he left the Fulton fish market, he would bring the stuff there, but his stuff wasn't good. And I'm like, I can't be bought. I didn't own the place, first of all, but I was like, I, I don't care if you put $5 million in there. I said, if the fish isn't fresh, I'm not buying it from you. But those are those things that no one's teaching you that in school, right? Or, or a produce company that's trying to sell you stuff that they're just ready to throw out. You got to put your foot down and say, I'm not going to stand for this stuff. No, because you risk things. You risk, you know, making a customer sick. Yeah. You never know what could happen with something like that. And like I said, that's stuff you learn, but it would be it would be nice if schools would talk to you and teach you about that in a professional, educational way. Stand your ground. Yeah. That's great advice. I appreciate that. So, Chef, have you experienced any unique opportunities that have also helped guide your career? So, back in 2008, Sarah Foster hired me. I'm not sure if everybody knows, Sarah Foster was Martha Stewart's chef. And she kind of brought the local scratch-made restaurants to North Carolina. So she hired me as her chef for her Chapel Hill restaurant. And she has really been a true mentor, shown me everything. Um, We actually purchased Foster's Market from Sarah and then just rebranded it so it could be our own. Through that, you know, we did a lot of catering with Martha Stewart and things like that. So I really got to do things there. And then I also, I don't want to say invented, but we started a program called Family Dinners which is the beginning of, I would say, the blue box or whatever those meal systems are. And it's like a five-night meal for two kind of thing, but we make everything from scratch, and you just take and bake. And so that we've been doing since 2008. And then another thing would be I am part of La Dame's Deus Cafe, which is a invite kind of only women chef culinary group. Every state has their own groups, and North Carolina started ours, and I was one of the founding members here in North Carolina. It's 
all women chefs, food stylists, wine, anything like that. And that has been a big role. I've learned a lot. I've met a lot of awesome chefs through that kind of thing. And then earlier this year, I was on Guy's Grocery Games, which I feel kind of made me our town's little like celebrity kind of thing. You know, people are like, oh, I saw you on Guy's Grocery Games. And then right about the same time, you guys asked if I wanted to be a Sterling Silver chef. So, I mean, all these things have been great. Taught me new things, shown me new things, made me open my eyes a little more and kind of stop being just a line cook chef and start thinking about what I want later in life. That's great. I mean, those to me are just amazing experiences and, you know, one leads to the next to the next and that opens up your mind and takes you to another level. So that's, that's amazing. Yeah. Love to hear stories like that. So now that we know about your history, let's switch gears and talk about your restaurant, the Root Cellar Cafe and Catering, and how you're managing to remain a part of your community through all of this. Root Cellar Chapel Hill is actually about half a mile from uh, UNC Chapel Hill campus. So we have been hit hard knowing that, you know, the whole school has gone virtual this year. And a lot of our income did come from catering from the university. So we've had to, like, figure out things to do. Uh, One of our biggest things throughout the quarantine has been our family dinners. I think because, you know, people have been afraid of grocery stores and there's been such a hard time getting things that a lot of people have turned to us for their weekly meals. That's great. And, and I mean, that's something that you were doing already, right? Before, yeah. So it wasn't like you had to truly start from scratch there. It's just you had to put more of your focus on getting those done. And I'm going to guess you had a, a menu of meals. Have you added many more to that to just entice and change it up? So we have. So it started off, you know, like back in 2008 with the economic crisis as we started then. So since quarantine, we have added breakfast items. We added a veggie box, like, you know, fresh produce. We've added, I hate to say it, we added toilet paper when toilet paper was hard to get. Um, We've added lots of kid meals, coffee beans, because anything people wanted, we kind of just added to our menu for that. In the beginning, when everybody first was under quarantine, people wanted more of the comfort classic kind of things. And now we've kind of switched to just all over the map, a lot of grain bowls, a lot of more healthier items. How are your customers responding to those new, I guess, menu items? They've loved them. People have not been afraid to tell us something they don't like. We have tried, again, like I said, to do more healthier items and do more things that are like the grain bowls. Gone away from a lot of the comfort foods and gone more to, you know, meats and veggies and things like that. A lot of people have loved us offering breakfast items that they can, you know, have for the weekdays. That's great. Do you ever get from your customers, uh, do they ever give you suggestions on some things they'd like for you to make? All the time. (laughs) People are always giving us suggestions or they might say, hey, I went to your pop-up in Pittsburgh and you guys had ramen. Can you guys do that for family dinners? And, you know, they'll they'll say, oh, yeah, we can do that and we'll add it maybe. Or they're like, oh, last year you guys did this dish. Are you going to bring it back this year? And then I do a Friday night takeout, kind of like a date night kind of thing. So it's like three courses, and that's where I do something that is popular to me. So we get a lot of people who will be like, oh, I got your date night meal. Are you going to ever put that on family dinners? Or, well, when you guys reopen, will that be on the menu or things like that? That's good. 
I mean, I'd like to hear that from my customers. I mean, I'm sure you can't always uh, do exactly the things that they're asking you to do, but it, it, it's something you could jot down and go, okay, you know, you get enough people saying yeah. the same thing and, hey, it's pretty simple. Let's put it on the menu, right? Yep. Do you test new products to make sure that they're going to get to your customers in good shape? Or are you selling everything cold and they reheat it? How, yep. how are you doing that? So we sell everything is cold and they reheat it. Okay. I would say one of the hardest problems has been actually getting the takeout containers because every restaurant has switched to that. You know, we've had a few things that were like, that didn't work so well. Let's try it in this type of container. But, I mean, we had been doing it for so long already. We kind of knew what we needed and what we would use and what wouldn't work kind of thing. So I think we were ahead of the curve on that one. Oh, that's good. And, I mean, selling it cold like that is it makes life easier for you guys because that is a big issue that a lot of the restaurateurs that i spoke to they still have their same menu items and that's what people wanted you know i still want that beautiful filet or strip steak so how do you get that experience that they would have in that restaurant to their house you know 15 minutes later and who knows when they pick it up if they go home and eat it right away and so forth so it made people change the way they cook it made Packaging companies get creative, um, but I guess if you're going cold... Yeah, it's so easy. So like a steak, we just do raw. We have a local place in town that does that, and and it's... <laughs> even before COVID, it became a bigger business than their actual sit-down dining because it was just... You didn't have to wait in line. you just go pick it up, and it was the same food because you heated it up yourself. Chef Sarah, this is fantastic. I'm loving all these points you're bringing up. In fact, you have so many great insights that we're going to pause here and come back with more on the topic in the second part of this episode. Listeners, you'll want to be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out when part two of this episode is available. Don't miss part two of this episode by subscribing on our website, sterlingsilvermeats.com. Just sign up for our e-newsletter at the top of the page. You can also subscribe on your favorite podcast platforms. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at Sterling Silver Premium Meats. Until next time, thanks for listening and take care.